I hate this part. You do? Yeah, I hate opening the podcast because I feel like I want people to step into a conversation, but... Here we are with Justin Stumble. Oh, on like the it's next already week. going and they're yeah, like, hey, like, I'm an eavesdropper. What are you doing over there? Oh, yeah, they said something doing? interesting. What are they talking about? Yeah. Do you want to set the tone of like where we are? Oh, yeah. We're, and how you walked in today? I walked in like a boss. I bossed this because you weren't prepared. I, <laughs> in my girl brain, I was prepared with my Yeti. Hey, you said it, not me. So I can't offend all the women out there. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then you told me that I should probably ask for help. And then you helped me actually I did. actually set up. I did. So you're welcome, everyone, because today they have great audio. Yeah, you're going to have really good audio because Justin's here. And Justin has his own podcast. Yes. So he knows. Tell me about that. What, yeah. What's your podcast called? It's called The Connected Life. With your beautiful wife. Mm -hmm. We Abby. talk about all the messy things in life. Yes, you do. And it's like really high rated on iTunes or something, I, right? Well, How many yeah. people listen to your podcast? I don't, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. Don't be but, humble. But don't be we, humble. We estimate probably close to a quarter million. Okay. 200 to 250,000. That's amazing. Somewhere in there. And it's all around it's, being but connected. That, but yeah, it is. When you look at everyone else's followings on Instagram, you're like, mm -hmm. that's like five people. When you, when you look at people who are like millions and millions of followers and stuff. But and it's judging. funny because when you look at our, my, our, our social media, yeah, I've got like, I'm, I maybe have, close to 7,000 people and Abby has like 30,000 because she's so much more cooler than me. She is really um, cool. But, but you wouldn't know that our podcast does a lot of that because we don't, we, ha we put no attention to social media. I hate it. I, I hate social, it too. I think social media should be burned to the ground. Yes. <laughs> yes. I hate it as well. And that's why I, because to give context to our listeners, I actually recorded a podcast with you maybe two years ago. Yeah. And then I like put off launching the Did. podcast. What were you hiding from? <laughs> Hiding from the world, from COVID, <laughs> traumatic things, all the things. Uh -huh. um, but here we are again today. So thank you for jumping on my podcast. You're welcome. And yeah. I need to explain who you are to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. To I'll everyone. Shut up then. Yeah. Basically, so you're a life consultant. Are you still doing that? Are you meeting with clients? I only a couple of one on ones. I've focused most of my business on working on the background for online stuff because. Yes. Uh, it just makes a lot more sense mm -hmm. to get. So yeah. I met you about five years ago. I had heard probably Abby speak and then you had a podcast at the time more for men, but I listened because mm -hmm. had a lot of man issues. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of women listeners. Yeah. 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 And so I remember we had a session and I think I haven't had a lot of sessions with you, but I think they were very catalytic in my journey, if that's a word. I, they, it is. Yes. And I think what it w I would literally come out of sessions and be like, oh, shoot, I have to do this like brave thing. And so you're kind of part of the reason why I called the podcast The Next Brave Thing. Oh, because kind of a little bit me. I had to like, I walked out of sessions with you and was like, oh, I've got to do this hard conversation or confrontation yeah. or do something that feels vulnerable for me. And, um, and then I saw a lot of breakthrough because I took a lot of risks and you always inspired risks. And I think it's helpful because I have clients that have gone to other counselors and they come out feeling more depressed, whereas, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I'm sure like you never know what gets unpacked in a session. But um, I think that you're a real expander 
Ooh, you, expanded. Do you like that new age word? Justin, the expanded. Yeah, you, I would come out of sessions and like be enlightened of another way of thinking about something. Oh, that's cool. And so it would never feel hopeless. Like even the whole world might be saying women should be this thing or put in a box or whatever and you would blow up my paradigm about maybe you could be more and you always inspired Mm. me to be more so um yeah and I think that you would give me practical tools and to actually do go after breakthrough in a practical way which usually involved risk Mm -hmm. and learning how to love myself so yeah so thank you for that you changed my life and then I also went through something really traumatic and you were a stabilizing force mm. and you were a hero, yeah. but you, sometimes when people go through crap, the people in their lives make it about them and you didn't, you just were, you didn't make it about you. You actually were a real strength in that situation. And one thing that you said to me, which was super powerful was because it was a really scary situation and you actually said that fear won't protect me. Mm-hmm. And what did you mean by that when you said that? Oh, that's a great question. So the lie that we believe as human beings is that if I have enough fear about a circumstance, it'll it'll stop the circumstance from happening that I don't want to happen. So uh, something as simple as if I'm scared of being rejected, yeah, uh, then people won't reject me. But it actually causes us to get into fight or flight. It raises cortisol levels. It doesn't actually help us to think clearly. It doesn't help us to connect to wisdom. We need peace to actually connect to wisdom, to find our truth for the moment. When we get connected to fear, we disconnect from ourselves. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea is getting connected to yourself, having enough peace that you can be present with yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I tell people fear is a liar. Fear mm-hmm. is not a safety mechanism. It is not going to, um, yeah, it's it's yeah. not, not going to keep you protected. Yeah, no, and I, I think it helped kind of confirm that what I was navigating, I had to constantly get in a state of peace yes. and um, get connected to peace and logic in the situation because I think I was in a situation where there was a lot of smoke and mirrors, <laughs> like I yeah, didn't know what was much. happening. So I think that you really anchored that and I'm super grateful. So in that sense, you are my hero. And oh, that's, yes. that's, that's, <laughs> a, that's a big, big, uh, big thing to say. I will say this also with fear. Um, mm-hmm. When we are, um, when we are young, oftentimes people will come to us and there's a phrase that people say, it's, it's uh, generally say, when there's a problem in front of us, someone will say, well, aren't you worried? Mm-hmm. Aren't you worried? And so the unconscious uh, truth that their their personal unconscious truth that they are telling you is that you aren't doing your part in a situation that's out of control unless you get into a posture of worry. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I if yeah. I oh aren't you worried? Like aren't you don't you have some fear? Aren't you going to engage some fear? You need it. Well, I can't do anything about it. Yeah. Aren't you worried about that? Instead of like, oh, great, you have peace about it, right? Like it's going to work out, right? And they're like, oh, no, aren't you going to do your part and worry? So there's actually something trained inside of us to be friends with fear and to believe that um, uh, connecting and participating with fear will uh, at least be the posture of taking control. Mm -hmm. Even when I can't practically do anything, 
I can have worry, right? Okay, I'm worrying. Okay, good. It's going to make this better. That shows you how much I care. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so we, it, it's so wrapped into the, our DNA and our mental thought yeah. process that it's, it's really hard to get out. But we can as long as we begin to see it for what it is. Yeah. And I, I actually did a debate. I teach a class uh, called The Wholehearted Artist to Actors. And we did a debate on whether love or fear is the like the most powerful force to make us productive and make us make good choices. And so I had love versus fear and everyone got triggered because right. it was like such a, yeah, it's such a, it was such an eye opening experiment because what I came away from what that was like, we actually don't know what love is and we don't know what the power of love is. Truth. And mm-hmm. so what, because tell me a bit about your story, because I know, um, and you share this on your podcast about running after fear and getting like eliminating, not that we can fully eliminate fear from our lives, maybe, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I just wonder what's your, what's been your journey with that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that, you know, my personal faith plays a role in this. And uh, for any of your listeners, I don't know what their background is, but there, there was in my early 20s, uh, I, I grew up in a faith in, within the faith institution of Christianity, and I found myself having a lot of negative emotions about the religiousness of it. Yeah. Uh, the rules of rela- regulations, the hypocrisy, the like. Not like, why are we doing this? It feels like we're just going to something and going through the 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 protocol, but we're not actually having some sort of heart encounter change. Yeah. And it feels like there's a uh, um there's a, a a message that's at war. Like I hear this concept there, there was this Messiah that came because he's, because there was a father that so loved us, but then the experience within that institution was very judgmental and harsh yeah. and condescending and condemning mm-hmm. and things like that. And so there was a war for me and this plays a huge, uh, a huge part of the whole story. Um, and at one cro- at a crossroads where I was working out my own faith condition inside of myself, I really, um, because I would, I would watch people war over, um, scriptures, mm. <laughs> o- 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 over historical literature and going, well, this is what it says. And this is what it says. And there was a consistent war and I didn't know what truth was. Right. right? There was a, there was a question like, I'm a truth seeker. Mm-hmm. I want to know what truth is, how to, a standard to, to kind of set my life on. And I remember having the internal, the inquiry of like, I need to know, just show me what truth is or or a foundation to begin with. And it was like, there was this highlight, um, bringing me back to a a foundational Christian scripture, which is for God so loved the world that he Mm. gave his only son. And this, the word love was highlighted, right? Mm. And this internal knowing or, or, or voice, it felt like it said to me, love is the key. It's what's going to change your world, your, you and heal the world. And I was like, and I felt like there was an invitation where it was like to ask yourself, what does love practically look like towards myself and towards other people? Yeah. And, and that, that, that almost like there was this internal assignment that was given to me to begin to seek out and understand what love was. Mm. Right. And so as I began in at 21, it was about 2021 when I, when I was initiating that on my own you know, in and out of partying and, and doing just wild lifestyle, I started asking myself, okay, what does it look like to love myself? And the more that I got connected to love, I realized, I began to, to see that, um, 
I hated myself. Mm. I spoke poorly of myself. What did that look like, hating yourself? Oh, that's a great question. Um, it looked like there was deep levels of criticism, mm. um, self-shame, um, the emotion of negativity. When I made mistakes, there wasn't kindness, gentleness, or compassion. It was, you're an idiot. What's wrong with you? Why can't you get this right? Who taught you that? Oh, I mean, culture does that in general, mm-hmm. but that definitely that ex- there was that experience of punishment inside of my mm. history growing up inside of my family Yeah, where there was high expectations to perform. And then when you didn't meet that, there was aggression, intensity. It felt like love, kindness, care, gentleness, patience. All of this stuff was removed. Mm. And, I, and, and uh, it felt like there was a lot of blame and accusation. Like, if you'd be different, we'd be good. So are you saying that your external environment, the home that you grew up in, became your internal environment? Absolutely. And that's what we do is we take our externals and we really begin to replicate them. Even after we leave our homes, our Mm -hmm. family of origin and and walk away from that, what we begin to do is we become the very people that maybe we've had the problems with. Now, Mm -hmm. I don't look at my parents as villains. There's a lot of beauty in our relationship, especially now in healing and restoration. But the actions inside of my family of origin is something that I had to overcome and the pain of, of that, right? Mm. And, and I noticed that I, the same actions that they took against me, well after they're out of my personal space and I've moved thousands of miles away, I am reenacting their same outward afflicted behavior towards myself inwardly. Yes. Right? I'm, I'm continuing yes. that cycle. Mm. And what I realized is that that daunting, aggressive voice of self-hatred and stuff all had fear attached to it. Yeah. It was, I'm scared of being rejected. I'm scared of being abandoned. I'm scared of being alone. I'm scared of being misunderstood. I'm scared of being punished. Um, I'm scared of if I shine and I show up really with my authentic personality, my authentic opinions, that that's going to be squelched. That's going to be judged. That's going to be... Um, I'm going to meet resistance, war, and those are some things that can happen in the process. But I realized that this fear of what could happen stopped me from being the fullness of who I truly was inside of myself. Like all Mm -hmm. the things that weren't being seen by the people all around me, Mm -hmm. the expressions of, of my personality, the play the playfulness, the the creative ideas. There was a stifling of my creativity because the things that I was dreaming of internally that wanted to execute externally couldn't happen, wouldn't yeah. happen because my fear said, but what will they think? What will they say? What if you fail, right? Mm-hmm. That, that voice of fear and that voice of self-hatred mm. that says you're not enough. You're going to be mm-hmm. seen as unworthy. You're going to f- be seen as stupid. Um, and there was no permission to make messes. Yeah. Because again, fear says you're going to be rejected if you make a mess. You're not right. going to be loved. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to be scorned. Mm-hmm. And it, I had this revelation where I was like, okay, so fear and love, they cannot coexist. You're going to s- serve one of two masters. You're going to either serve a master of love or a master of fear. Yeah. And one is going to free you and one is going to cage you. And mm-hmm. I could see that fear was caging me from making vital, wild, brave decisions to live life out loud and to create the life I wanted to deep down inside of me. And so the the phrasing that came to me was fear is the gateway between us and the destiny of who we're created to be. And I understood that this gateway created out of finely woven fears 
inside of my soul was going to have to be passed through. Like I was going to have to walk up to it and I was going to have to start kicking it down if I wanted to become whatever that intelligent design was for my life. Like something was dreamed about for me that Mm -hmm. was placed inside of me that the human heart, all humans have something inside of them that goes, I feel a yearning to show up to life in a certain way. And not many of us end up showing up to life that way and fulfilling that thing that's inside of our gut, our intelligent design. And so I, I made a, it was around 25 and I said, I am ready to face all my greatest fears, no matter what it costs me. Mm. And I knew that that internal statement or that yes was going to lead to me actually having my greatest fears begin to come to pass. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered and what every human being will discover when they're willing to face their greatest fears is that we're not so fragile. Yeah. And these greatest fears aren't that bad. Yeah. And there's, um, something that is within us, a grit that is waiting to come out, Mm -hmm. a strength that is waiting to, uh, expose itself. And there's something that comes alive in the human condition when we face fears, because then all of a sudden something that was intelligently designed inside of us gets a voice Mm. and we begin to thrive. Yeah. And we didn't know that we were just surviving. Mm-hmm. We think life is fine when we're not facing fears. Yeah. Because we are medicated or numbed mm-hmm. by this, uh, the blindness that we have. But then when we face our fears, we realize, oh my gosh, I was surviving. I wasn't fully yes. joyful, happy. Yes. I didn't have actual pleasure in my life. Mm-hmm. I was existing. Yes. And so that was from 25 on was my consistent like, yeah. Give me my fear one after another. Yeah. I love what you say and kind of what I'm reading in between what you're saying is you actually had a high vision of who you knew your higher self was. Right. And you were living in your, and I, and I meet a lot of people and you did this for me was like, Ella, like you're living below the surface of who you are really like it's almost like you need someone to pull out your true identity of like you step into your fullness and so where did you because there was something obviously in you that could see a higher vision of Justin because I think a lot of people think I'm just a piece of crap because everyone is telling me that I am so or yeah like how did you get that higher vision of yourself or how did you know that there was more for you well it's interesting because there was an ache inside of me since I was a little kid that was like I know I'm meant for something more I don't know what that is and I'm a very inquisitive person where I'm like I want to know I was a kid that always asked why to teachers and to my parents and would got in trouble for asking why yeah like shut up and just do it <laughs> stop asking why and I'm like no tell me why don't have a brain uh-huh, uh-huh. and yeah. I was very inquisitive and given uh my childhood was laced with a sense uh, uh, experiences of some uh, mental, emotional, and verbal abuse and neglect um, kind of all swirled inside of it. And there was this um, aggressive need inside of me to find solutions because I knew that I had the option of either find solutions or kill myself. Yeah. Because that was really, I I grew up in a lot of suicidal ideation, right? Mm. And 
because of that, there was this persistent, like, if I'm going to be here, I want to actually be here. I want to be fully alive. I want to like make this mean something. I don't want to just be trapped on earth for 90 years and then finally get off this dusty rock. Right. Mm -hmm. And so inside of me, there was this drive of like, I need to know how I function, why I function the way I do. I want a solution to the torment that my soul feels like it's inside of. Yeah. And inside of finding connection to myself, I found connection to the authentic, my own authentic voice. I, I could be, as I started to wade down through the pain and the tragedy and the sufferings, I then suddenly could hear my inner voice be like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. This is what I think I'm made for. And when I could catch glimpses of that, I would hold mm-hmm. on to that because it was holding on to the possibility of what life could actually be for me is yeah. what got me through the torment that I was feeling in mm-hmm. the process of my pain. Yeah. Yeah. But it took connecting to myself. That was a huge mm-hmm. part of it. And Again, I I think going back to my personal experience with faith, the only thing that I had was a relationship between me and my creator. I didn't necessarily uh, have a super fond relationship with the institution of faith, Mm -hmm. but I had a super fond relate to that. (laughs) uh I had a super fond relationship with this uh, this idea of this unconditionally loving creator who wanted to create us and wants to participate in our story, and so call it my imaginary friend or call it a unique connection was a very real God. But I had this space of connection where I was constantly saying, show me, show me who I'm made to be. Show me who you are. Show me what there's, what the possibilities are in my life. Show me how life could be different from what I'm experiencing. And so there was this very much openness, Mm. uh, to discovery. Yeah. That's so cool because I think that that I always wonder what drives people, you know, what, what, what is their motivator? And, um, it sounds like faith has been that for you, but I think one thing that you said to me, which was powerful inside of risking and, um, going after the life that you want, uh, was because a lot of us hold ourselves back because of disappointment. We're afraid of disappointment. Mm -hmm. And I think that you said something that just kind of disarmed that whole, that fear around being disappointed of like, Oh, disappointment is something that you can actually move through quickly. Mm -hmm. So how have you personally, I don't think we can avoid disappointment, but what does moving through disappointment look like? Well, first off disappointment, uh, the way to deal with disappointment is to accept that it's part of the human condition. Mm -hmm. People don't want to accept that pain is part of the human condition or disappointment or loss or tragedy or all of that. So once we can enter into an acceptance posture, then we don't, we're not at war with it. We're not trying to avoid it. So uh, moving through it, it's like, okay, there's disappointment. How do I grieve well when I do get disappointed? And that really became the question, not how do I avoid disappointment, Mm. but how do I grieve well through a disappointment? Yeah. So learning how to connect to my own emotions gave me the capacity to begin to cry and feel and, and, and not only express that pain, within the context of my own quiet space, but do it within the context of other people. See, um, you talked about the power of love. The, the ability for me to have a grieving moment with say someone like you and cry and you meet me with patience, gentleness, kindness, understanding, a uh, sense of validation or attunement heals something inside mm-hmm. the human soul. And when you, a lot of people don't, aren't equipped 
with uh, tools or practical ways yeah. to heal pain or process pain. Yes. So that's why it's even more terrifying to face uh, something like disappointment because yeah. they're like, I can't do one more disappointment. It's not that they can't do the disappointment. It's I can't do the pain that comes with disappointment because I have a backlog of crap mm-hmm. inside of my life that I haven't been knowing how to navigate. Yeah. No one showed me how to. So I, I smoke, drink, get high, bang it out with people. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like I, I'm medicating already the pain that I have. But so for me, I wasn't allowing myself to medicate pain. I was facing pain. Therefore, I could walk through disappointment. Yeah. And, and, and now when disappointment happens, I don't go into blame. I don't blame God. I don't blame other people. I just accept, well, this is part of the human condition. Yeah. And now what is the piece of this disappointment that I need to properly grieve? Mm. Mm-hmm. And then when I exchange it and I get love in, I go, okay. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm not alone because one of the greatest human pains is the sense of abandonment. Yeah. So when love is not present in our story, when we do not love ourselves, we are bound to feeling abandoned. Yeah. Right. Because it's like the minute I judge myself, I actually step away from myself. Yeah. When I become harsh, critical and condemning, I am stepping away from me. Mm-hmm. When someone else makes those actions, they're, they're stepping out of love and it feels like they're stepping away and then the sense of aloneness and abandonment happens. Yeah. And that's really a huge part of the process is when we understand the power of love and we bring love in through our vulnerable actions and um, our vulnerable communications, the abandonment disappears. Yeah. I am able to say I'm safe. Mm-hmm. I'm chosen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get through this. Mm-hmm. It's not the end of my world. This disappointment isn't the end of the world, though it was sad. And there's going to be good gifts. See, when we believe and feel like we're abandoned, we are living like an orphan, a kid that is fighting for some sort of care and love. And so if we're living as an orphan and not with the idea that there's someone involved in our story, something bigger involved in our story, then it is scary. Like if we do get disappointed over something and we do have a loss, it's very easy to believe that something good isn't going to happen. There's not going to be something to come along and give Mm -hmm. us more, right? Mm -hmm. There's lack inside Mm -hmm. of that. But when we have a relationship with love and even a higher power that we believe is invested and involved and we're invested in our own heart and our own story, so we lose something and we go, oh, that's okay though. I'm like sad for a moment, but it's okay because there's a whole other side to this where goodness yeah. is going to find me and I'm going to get the things that my heart needs. I'm not alone. Yeah. You're reminding me of a session that was a life-changing session that I had with you. I was coming from the first year of starting this school and um I was I came into your session just in conflict, just relational conflict, mm. and I think I was verbally processing like trying to make everyone happy because Ella wasn't happy with Ella, and mm-hmm. I think I saw a photo of myself. I told you this. I saw a photo of myself, and I was like, I don't like that girl. Like I don't like her. And then you said to me, Ella, why are you abandoning yourself? Mm-hmm. Because I would emotionally eat. I would check out. Like I didn't even know what it meant to connect to myself. And I was busy, um, 
yeah, what, trying to win over my leadership, trying to win over students, trying to like keep everyone happy with Ella so Ella could be happy with Ella. Mm-hmm. And this idea of like self-abandonment was like a new concept to me because I didn't know or, you know, self-hatred. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was really powerful because I had to learn how to love myself. And then it was powerful because I think within a couple of months I had lost like 30 pounds after that just from this one concept of Mm -hmm. abandonment. And I think even like with addiction, um, all of that comes because we feel really disconnected Mm -hmm. and alone. And um, I love what you're saying. I think I've heard Brene Brown say like the thing that when we're in pain and struggle, the thing that we actually need is connection, not someone to fix it. We actually just need connection. Yeah. And so that makes me feel, even as a life consultant, oh my gosh, I hear the most craziest stories all the time and the most like, I have no, I have no answers for you, but I can make you feel connected. Yeah. That, and learning how to do that is powerful. So Yeah, isn't it such a simple solution? So simple. That I can come be with you in this. Yes. It'll begin to heal the lie that's mm-hmm. inside of you that says you're all alone. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful. And that sense of care. Yeah. It's going to help you to process through to the other side of this. Yeah. So I'm curious to know, and for our listeners, um, what did, what did it look like practically for you? Like when insecurities would come up, like running after fear and then engaging with love, like what, do you have any stories around what that practically looked like? I have a lot of them. Yes. Well, maybe when you were first married, because I think I think I want to encourage all our listeners to go and listen to the Connected Life and hear Justin and Abby's how they got together. <laughs> like start from the start and work your way through. You were you were in for a treat. <laughs> so, like even inside of marriage, like what was some fears around that? Like what? Yeah, what was that for you? Well, one of the things that I have to say. Um that was vital in my process is for self-forgiveness. Wow. No, that's not directly answering your thing. It will yeah, in a second, that's good. Self-forgiveness uh, gave me the capacity to face fears because when I was making mistakes, the more I could learn how to forgive myself for the mistakes that I was making or for whatever, you know, cause again, facing your fears is facing the failures Mm. having failures happen. And a lot of times we hold a judgment against ourselves inside of that. And that's where fear has power. So if I forgive myself and I'm readily quick to forgive myself, the power of fear starts shattering. And that's what I had to learn. Like as I'm one of my greatest fears was the idea of getting married because I saw, I didn't see marriage look successful. And so then all of a sudden at 25, after I did that, Abby and I fell in love and we, we get married and I had a fear that I would not have a job. I'd work since I was 13 years old, always like through the summers. And then I was at school and the off time, but I always had a job or doing something. And, uh, we, we quit, I quit work and we went on a road trip and, and all of my um, savings over the course of a year was spent. And I had this terror that what happens if all my money's spent and the things that gave me seemingly gave me a sense of control or a sense of power, uh, started disappearing. I no longer could go hide when I was in pain. Someone was very actively Mm -hmm. right in front of me. Mm -hmm. And so part of facing my fear was, uh, 
not jumping out of the marriage and getting a divorce. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. It's saying yes to a commitment with another human being that gets to see all of your messiness, even the stuff that you haven't looked at yourself and you've been denying is now on the table. And uh, then watching pieces of my life start falling apart. And it was interesting because at the end of the first year of marriage, we ended up moving in with my parents. Fun. One of my greatest fears was moving in with my mom and my dad. Uh, and Because my dad moved back home to okay. his hometown after they got married. And it was like the beginning of the end of their life together. Right. Okay. Because of being around his own father yes. and their business okay. and stuff like that. And this is in Montana or something, mm-hmm. isn't it? This is in mm-hmm. Montana. And we moved into my parents' basement. They had a mm-hmm. like 5,000 square foot house and we we're down in the lower 2,500 and um, could not escape my parents and all of our family mess is coming to the surface yeah. and, and uh, some of our, our family system is being exposed with Abby yeah. and my fear of disappointing my parents, my fear of angering them, my fear of challenging them about stuff. I had to begin to challenge my parents to save my marriage Mm. because there was a system that needed to be torn down. And if it wasn't properly faced and torn down, it would have led to the destruction of my marriage. But in all of it, there was so many things where things didn't make sense. There were people with hurt feelings. I couldn't be the person that kept everyone happy. Yeah. Right. Through all of it. And so I had to be consistent with forgiving myself Mm -hmm. and looking through a lens of value that wasn't um, wasn't through my actions. No longer was I valuing myself of whether or not I kept them happy, but I was looking at myself going, what is my inherent value as a human being? Mm, that's good. And so that's the way that we can face a lot of fears is like not taking our outward circumstances as a value assessment of who we truly are. Yes. And removing our, 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 our that value assessment. And for me, again, that was like going to my creator and saying, Papa, if you made me well, what do you say about me right now? Mm. Like I've just shit the bed on this circumstance Mm -hmm. with my wife. I made a mess. I yelled, I cussed at her. I threw a punch in the wall in an explosion as we like had a meltdown. Yeah. Who do you say I am apart from my actions? And Mm. I like that, that it was that internal unction I could feel and hear. I love you. You're a good husband. I can see that you're doing the best that you know how you're fighting hard for this. Yeah. And whether that was, a voice of validation from God or my own self validation, it began to heal something inside of me and gave me the strength to be brave and stay inside of a marriage. When there were moments where I was like, I want to run, I want to get a divorce because there was many times I wanted to get a divorce. Yeah. It was scary. Um, because it's, it's, it's easier when you come from a place of abuse to actually isolate yourself Mm. because then people can't hurt you. Yeah. It's like, it seems the idea is I'll have less pain if I disconnect. But the Mm -hmm. truth is I was drowning in pain over isolation. Mm -hmm. So I had to actually face my fears to get out of isolation Mm -hmm. and begin to love myself and forgive myself in the midst of stuff. That's so powerful. I don't know if I answered your question. That's awesome. I think, I think you answered it. Great. I, I wonder what love has taught you. What, what has love taught you? Because I think that when people think of love, they think of like romantic love uh, and even doing this debate in my class with my students, I'm like, we don't even really know what it is, but it has, but love is powerful. Um, so what, what would you say that how, what has love taught you practically or made you? Yeah. 
I think there's varying expressions of love. There, there is, uh, uh, and, and that there's, there's four phases of love that people talk that that's talked about. That's been addressed. I can't think of the four phases of love, but basically there, there's different phases and it goes from romantic for, th- from just emotional, like, Oh, that's so sweet and so cute and passionate to romantic to going deeper until it's a mature love. Yeah. And, Love in its maturity is filled with sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes with, uh, it, there's a sense of balance inside of love. Like true mature love has a sense of balance. It says, I love myself and I know I'm not a doormat. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, uh, I don't just throw out my feelings, my needs. I don't discard my own personal experience. Yeah. But I also, in seeing myself, my needs, care for myself, I actively um, choose mm-hmm. to sac- be sacrificial in actions. Mm. Like I see someone else inside of their pain and I come alongside them and I, um, I am patient. Mm-hmm. I am kind. Mm-hmm. I am gentle. I am understanding. I, I choose to lay down my right to Mm -hmm. be right in moments like something about mature love says, even though I know I'm a thousand percent right in this moment, facts Mm -hmm. tell me that I'm completely Mm -hmm. right. Mature love says I care more about connection in this moment than being right. Yeah. I care more about understanding this person than proving that I'm not bad, that Mm -hmm. I didn't fail. Mm -hmm. Um, so love is love has taught me that I'm good. Uh, um, that when other people have a, a poor assessment of me, yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> that I'm enough, <laughs> yeah, and that I don't have to prove myself mm-hmm. to them. And it's taught me how to be stable. It's taught me how to be at peace. Um, love also has taught me that uh, there's actually a place for relational truth that sometimes will provoke pain inside of other people. So mm-hmm. what I mean by that is like I learned that. Uh, love can be a truth teller <laughs> that will leave people really angry. It might be in marriage where we say, Hey, actually that didn't feel good. And at, at this moment, um, I'm feeling really sad. And the person across from me is feeling an immense amount of shame because it's their shame that they feel about their actions that we yeah. haven't put on them. And my truth of even saying like, I don't feel safe in this moment with you say something like that. And the person gets angry. How could you, why would you say that? Like love will be honest in ways that will provoke really ugly emotions out of people. Mm-hmm. Love at the same time in a mature relationship says, but I'm here to participate with you and work this out. If you want to work this out yeah. and I'm going to be long suffering in my actions. Mm. Um, Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to bail on you, but I am going to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Love sometimes has taught me that I have to hold people accountable for their actions. Yeah. That's wild. We think that love is like, don't, don't let anyone have bad emotions and don't hold them, hold a standard or a reflective mirror to them because we don't want them to feel shame about what they've done. Yeah. But even uh, for an, as an example, in my relationship with, with my mom, which mm-hmm. has been very healed uh, at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Really beautiful stuff. Beautiful yeah. woman who, who she's been able to uh, evolve into and express herself as. But part of loving her well was saying, hey, there was abuse inside of this relationship and I'm going to talk about it. If you want to do relationship with me, we have to address pieces of our past. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And that might be hard and difficult and scary, but I'm not going to be silent because I'm going to love myself, but I'm also loving you because I'm reflecting how your choice to show up inside of a relationship has affected me. And you are now given an opportunity to either face the things that has caused your destructive cycles, or you can stay trapped in it without me being inside of your cycle anymore. Mm-hmm. But we begin to give people the gift of um, freedom like an invitation to freedom. We give them the gift of an invitation to freedom when we get honest about our experience Mm -hmm. in these primary relationships that we have. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. And that's scary for a lot of people. A lot of people don't believe that that's loving. In fact, that's with clients who come in my office, one of their biggest things is I don't want to be a terrible son or daughter or friend. Like, won't I, won't that be horrible? You know, if I, if I talk to them about how they like smacked me around for years or, how they neglected me for years or mm-hmm. doesn't that make me bad? I don't want to make them feel pain. they were just doing pain. what they, they knew. They were doing the best they could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we make mm-hmm. excuses for other people. And really it's mm-hmm. about a heart posture. Mm-hmm. The difference between punishment and um, accountability is, yes. is a heart posture. Yes. It's as simple as I'm here to exact revenge and hurt you through this action. Mm-hmm. Right? It's yeah. punishment versus... Hey, I hope that we could make some repair, but I'm going to have to get really vulnerably honest. Yeah. And yeah. I'm I'm going to I'm going to tell you about my experience. Yeah, cuz I think we've seen a lot of the time revenge modeled to us. Right. So we're so afraid of um if I talk to this person, I'm condemning them. I'm Right. You know, and I I'm afraid of disconnection or I don't I want to avoid and and so because I'm afraid of disconnection, but mm-hmm. actually it's okay to be disconnected. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it a step yeah. further. The idea that I don't want to create disconnection, you already are living in disconnection yes. oftentimes yeah. when there are very deeply woundful experiences that haven't been talked about or exposed, your, your heart's shut down. There's walls that we put up to self protect. Mm -hmm. There's ways that we don't vulnerably give ourselves away to each other. So for instance, with my mom, there may be tons of pieces of my life that I would not give her any of that information Mm -hmm. because I didn't want her to weaponize it and hurt me with it. Right. I didn't want her to be able to be close enough to me. But in my head, I also was like, I don't want to talk to her about this stuff because we could disconnect. Well, yeah. I was already living yeah. thousands of miles away from my parents mm-hmm. because of pain. Mm-hmm. I was already not sharing things with them because there was disconnection. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's the illusion people have. Yeah. And I think even um, because you have a great uh, series called the Father Series that I encourage my clients to get. Oh, that's like, cool. And I, I encourage everyone to listen to it because you talk about confronting um, your parents. Um, and really I think, cause I've had to do that too in my journey, um, is really like not, uh, not so much about outcome about how they respond, yeah, but correct. about actually I'm going to have a voice and I'm not mm-hmm. going to be powerless. And I've noticed when I have been brave enough to confront with a good heart posture and sometimes not a good heart yeah, posture, totally. like it's, it's very messy. It's, there's no science to it, but I think that, um, I think for me and and learning from watching your journey and Abby's journey um, as you've gone after brave communication and like really um, leaning into health in all areas, like it's certainly, I love how you in the Father Series talk about, um, yeah, n- not 
verbalizing or bringing up something painful to control someone but right. actually I can't control how that other person is going to respond but I can give myself a voice mm-hmm. and I think a lot of us are walking around with so much pain and feel so unheard and it's really takes courage to have a voice Big time. Um, and I think one thing that you said and we'll wrap up in a second but one thing I remember you saying is that we are the gatekeepers of love in our life mm-hmm. what do you mean by that well uh, before I answer that I want to add something yeah. to, the bra- to the brave bravery Bra- concept mm-hmm. especially in confrontation there are progressive levels of bravery that happen sometimes yeah. being super brave is a letter that says there was abuse in our childhood and I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay. I mean, that didn't get the resolution that you wanted, but it's the start. It was like even saying yeah. it to say it was so brave. It was yes. so terrifying to say yes. it. And it may have been messy. It may have had messy words with it, but the evolution of bravery um, happens when it goes from acknowledging the actions of somebody else. And then we start getting into the, the emotional effect that it had on us. Mm -hmm. So going from you were a jerk and I can't believe you did this and you hit me or you yelled at me or you left me Mm -hmm. to, I felt so scared. I felt so worthless. Yes. I felt so dehumanized. Mm -hmm. I felt, um, so abandoned by that experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I felt terrorized. Mm. Um, I felt so unlovable. Mm-hmm. I've felt that going forward. I ache. I'm mm-hmm. so sad. I'm so fearful from those experiences. Like that type of communication is is that next step, that next evolution in bravery. Yes. Inside of relationships, and and that's that's a, a portion of. Uh, th- well, I'll say this: it's terrifying in most intimate relationships. If we're just talking talking about friends or spouses, yeah, people are just like. Yeah, I told them that they were a jerk and I hated what they did and they need to stop it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I drew my boundary and I'm like, uh, oh, okay, but did you get vulnerable? Yeah, that was vulnerable. I was like, that that was a beginning layer of vulnerability. Yes. And there, really. and then when I talk about some of the language that I use there, they're like, I would never say that. And I'm like, why? Mm. Because what if they responded poorly? They might. But that is a very powerful way to live. That's mm. very stripped naked and bare, and that's deeply brave. And that will cost you something to be in that level of exposure. But yeah. the reward that you reap at that level of exposure is immense. It's a piece that is beyond all understanding. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and, it, and there's a sense of joy because there's we're out of the darkness. We've come out of the darkness in our soul yeah. and we've uh, touched on a piece of light and we feel this lightness because we're like, I am known, even if they don't know me, my voice has been spoken and I even know me. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were saying we are the gatekeepers of love to our, uh, we are the gatekeepers of love. Well, I talk about it in the context of I am the gatekeeper of love to myself. So the idea is, is that the world comes and wants to deposit nuggets of love into Mm -hmm. our little bank account. They want to be kind, gentle, helpful. Like even in the most messiest of scenarios, there's always people trying to do something loving. And oftentimes none of it lands. It doesn't, it doesn't make its mark on our life. We were, we, um, reject it through things like, Oh, they didn't mean that. I don't deserve that. Uh, what's the point of that? Or we, um, say, oh, thanks so much. But it's like there's this internal wall. Right? Yeah. And I know you've said 
Ella, I think you're beautiful. And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 it just bounces right uh-huh. off me. It wouldn't now, but uh-huh. like, I, it's because I was the gatekeeper in mm-hmm. that situation. And we keep that da- mm-hmm. gate closed. And we, we mm-hmm. oftentimes do it because we want to protect ourselves. If we let someone love us, then we think that, well, if they love me now, what if they turn that love off? And that's because humans have a way of making other humans their source. That means like, if I let you love me, that means you are the water spigot that's turned on consistently. And I, I have to drink from that hose only. And if that hose gets turned off, then there's going to be a drought inside of my soul. Mm. But if I, do, if, I, if I look at the idea of like, oh, there's a sip of water. <laughs> this person has a capacity to give me a sip of water at this moment. I'm sustained and I'm fine elsewhere, but I'm going to absorb this sip of water and add it to my cup and let it overflow. And so I even talk about the idea that people, um, we have to learn how to accept the love that people have the capacity to reflect. And I especially talk about it in the idea of God's love. Like each of us has a capacity to reflect a portion of unconditional love, a piece of it, a, a little bit of a mirror reflection of it. But there's a whole bunch of it that we don't know how to reflect. And that's okay once we go, oh, this is all the love that they know how to reflect. I can open up the gate of my heart and go, I'm going to allow myself to receive the love that Ella has the capacity to reflect right now. Tomorrow she might decide that I'm an asshole <laughs> and not like me and talk poorly of me. And I don't have to throw out this, this one nugget of love that you had to give. I get to go, that was the capacity that she had. That was from a higher source than even herself. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to still know that that love was true. And the rest of this is the messiness of her humanity that hasn't been overtaken by the fullness of love yet. And that's okay because we're all on that journey. Mm. And so now my gate can swing wide open Mm -hmm. without plugging in and going, you're going to be my spigot, my source Mm of love. I'm going to go, oh, little drink here, little drink there, little drink here and there. That's cool. Oh, that's so cool that they had that much love that they could even reflect. Yeah, That's beautiful. I'm going to mm-hmm. let that land. And I'm going to absorb it even in thinking about like, oh no, that's a higher truth. Mm-hmm. Like when you say like, oh, Justin's, Justin's been like a hero in this area to me. And I'm like, wow, that's an immense statement that my brain doesn't have the capacity to fully ingest right now. But later on, my uh, I'll sit with myself and go, that's really beautiful, Justin. You had the capacity to show up in a moment Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a ton of ways that I am probably the villain in a lot of people's stories, right? <laughs> but I could show up enough in a moment that it mm-hmm. could actually affect someone else's world in this way. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful that I could do that. And it's beautiful that this person could be vulnerable enough to receive it. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. let myself absorb and soak mm-hmm. that in. Yeah. Yeah. But I won't let that's it so ultimately good. define me. I let it, yes. I let it be a reflection but not a definition. Yeah. And when people don't have the capacity to reflect love, I don't ever let that define me. Mm -hmm. And some people are like, well, what if there's a hint of truth in what they're saying? There might be. And I'll fish through with love what could be the hint of truth behind the messiness of how they express themselves about me and look like what is really being said and Mm -hmm. what's what's the hidden nuggets behind it, but I'm not going to let this define me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so powerful. I love it. You are such a evolved human in terms of like you've gone on such a healing journey and and that I'm, I imagine people listening have you they're at like at the start of their journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so for you, because 
for everyone's bravery looks different for everyone. Mm -hmm. So now that you've like been years into counseling and healing and going on this journey of running after love, like what does bravery look like for you now that you've evolved here? Mm-hmm. Do well, you think we ever outsmart bravery? <laughs> no. Well, I do want to say this without yeah. self-deprecation. I yeah. am a mess of a human being and that is not a self-deprecation. And I think the more that I you evolve, <laughs> <laughs> the more, you know, you're like the less, you know, or something. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there, there's this thing of what you involve into mm-hmm. is a real non self-deprecating, honest assessment of yourself where you go, wow, I'm, I do not have it together. Yeah. Okay. I accept mm-hmm. that. And you're just mm-hmm. kind of at peace with it. And you're, and you go, this is kind of the nuggets I have to hand away in my yeah. small minuscule journey. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you were saying, what was the question? Sorry. Well, just what bravery looks like for you now. Mm. It, it looks like, well, I'm in a season of bravery for me is in the middle of a painful moment of sadness. I am sitting making a phone call or sitting down across from someone that I know loves me and like Mm -hmm. not like hey this is delayed I'm going to tell you like a week from now or a day from now I'm calling you or sitting down with you right now and saying I feel so broken so exposed so Mm -hmm. sad right now in this Mm -hmm. moment I'm gonna yeah I you know sitting down with people part of my self-protection mechanisms from my abuse history was to be the biggest most powerful person in a room yeah to be self-sufficient Mm. and to disqualify the love that people had the capacity to give mm-hmm. uh, unless they had a certain level of emotional intelligence or capacity that they could meet me in a certain way. And that mm-hmm. was all self-protection. Mm-hmm. And that's been dismantled to the point of like, can this person hold me and tell me they love me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You're qualified. Mm-hmm. I am mm-hmm. going to let you know this. And you may not know what to do with any of my information. I don't even care. Mm-hmm. And that's part of being brave is like, letting people meet you in the midst of your pain with the capacity of what they do have to give and learn and knowing how to absorb that for the moment. Yeah. So that's, that's a big way I'm being brave right now. So like you're saying in the moment rather Mm -hmm. than going away and stewing about like, uh, they were probably having a hard time. So I don't want to like, but that bothered me or you're, you're saying you'll kind of talk about it in the moment. Whether it's with issues with them or yeah. it's just my own personal life issues yeah. where I'm like, oh, I just had a really difficult yeah. exchange with Abby or difficult yeah. exchange with one of my other friends yeah. or information is coming up in my soul about my past. Mm. I'm going to initiate it right in the moment and yeah. allow people that uh, even something that's been very brave of me are people who I have spoken into their their journeys at some level or another um, come back around and be very not equipped and be very messy in front of them and let them give me love. Yeah. You know, it's like that idea of uh, stepping out of any type of hierarchical relationship that exists and just Mm -hmm. being like, yeah, I had Mm -hmm. some wisdom and love to give you yesterday, but I don't have that to give Mm -hmm. today. And I'm going to let you see me and not think that I have to have it all together. Mm -hmm. And that for, I mean, it's been quite a few years of me Mm -hmm. um, living out of that lifestyle of like, I don't need to hide this from this person, even though I've spoken into their journey, I don't have to be anything more than I am. Yeah. I love that because I think that's why I trust you so much because 
I think that we've been modeled, especially in church, this idea of our leaders are perfect. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that that is the thing destroying people because they can't fully show up and be themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I've always gravitated to yours and Abby's content is because you, uh, you give us permission to be humans. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I've had people freaking out and then them come back ashamed that they freaked out that way. And I'm like, you're allowed to be human. Yeah. Like, and, and I've done the same thing. I've had a friend be like, oh, I haven't seen you react like that. And because I know all the ways you should react, mm-hmm. like, or you should respond because of the life coach thing or the kind thing. But I'm like, actually, I'm just going to be a human and be like, like hormonal and pissed right now. And I'm actually not embarrassed that you saw that side of me. I think that being human is probably the most brave thing we can do. Like authentically accepting our humanity and expressing Mm -hmm. it and not trying to hide it and act like we're something more than we are. Yeah. It's super brave. It's terrifying. And hot. It's, I think it's so attractive. It's so hot. It's so hot. fiery hot. It's lava. It's like attractive because you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, you're fully being yourself. That Mm -hmm. actually provides safety. It really does. It really makes you like, oh, I know what I'm getting. Well, (laughs) it, it provides safety also because... It says that if you're willing to be honest about your messiness Mm -hmm. and accept yourself, it means that you're going to accept and love me and my messiness. You're you're setting a standard and it invites people to mm-hmm. not have to hide any longer. Mm. And and I, to, to, I when you talk about it's hot like I all you single people out there. Yeah. You know, be honest. <laughs> Quit playing games and hiding. Like that that will be yeah. very attractive in relationship, especially you men out there. You guys, you stop hiding. You stop guys, hiding. don't hide. Yeah. Don't hide. Attract a mate. Yes. Well, Justin. Yeah. I love ya. I love you too, Ella. Thank you for coming on the podcast and making space because you're a busy man. So I love because you have um you have an online course called Living Fully Alive. Is it Living Fully Alive? Uh Yes. My mom okay, so my mom did this course the first time that you did it. Uh Uh-huh. Game changer for my family. It's so cool, huh? Yeah, and my just like you're a hero in my life. You're a hero in my brother's life. My 18-year-old brother, well, he's like 20 now, 21, Love something that like that. Love that kiddo. I know. He would listen to your podcast at three o'clock in the morning, skateboarding through the streets because <laughs> he couldn't sleep and would just like listen to it. And it's literally the content that you and Abby put out has changed my family's life. Mm. Like... And so I tell, and some of my clients are actually doing your course right now. So if you guys are like, wow, I'm listening to all of this emotional health stuff for the first time ever. How do I get tools to confront family members? How do I get tools to heal from my past? Like living fully alive is a great resource. So how can they find that? Well, uh, Living Fully Alive runs, now we're doing it twice a year, um, yes. but you can find more information at Justin and Abby, that's abi.com. And uh, we're, we're currently, 
uh, going to have a new website up come August, uh, late August, 2021 with also a new course called the pathway to freedom, mm -hmm. uh, which helps people with their triggers. We have a few other things like the compassion project, oh, yeah. um, really vulnerable stuff, the father series, but it's all there. You'll be able to look at that content hub yeah. and right now it's not as pretty, but it's going to be real pretty. When well, maybe by here. the time I actually launch my uh -huh, podcast, uh -huh. your website be will be great. Ti perfect <laughs> yeah. timing, but you can go to yes. justinabby.com. And also check out my second favorite podcast, The Connected Life. Uh-huh, because your first one is yes, this the next one. Bra yeah, I've next brave thing. Next brave thing, well, my baby. Anyway. I, I thank you for having me on. Yes. And you've been such, uh, and I can attest, I've watched Ella's journey at a, very closely through a portion of it. And mm -hmm. there is an immense amount of bravery. And honestly, you were up there with some of my top favorite clients that I've ever had Thanks, because friends. of your yes to face fears. And when I said, go do this, you're like, that sounds terrible, but okay, I'll do it. <laughs> it is really cool. Yes. So you guys are yeah. in good hands with her over here at this podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Justin. You betcha. Love you, girl. Thank you for listening today. You can follow us at the Next Brave Thing podcast on Instagram and make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you would like to book in a life consulting session with me, feel free to go to my website at www.ella-hooper.com for more information.